This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Running Together. If you are new to this show, I interview a runner who may or may not be well-known, who may or may not have won races. That's not so important. What is important to me is why the person runs, how they started, and what effect has running had on their lives over many years or a few until now. It bears repeating that running and walking are the most common vigorous activities performed by us humans. For those old enough to remember, running became hugely popular as a sport in the 1970s and 1980s. It helped with the success of Kiwi runners at the Commonwealth Games in 1974 and Olympic medals in 1972 and 76. Today, running is still hugely popular, but club running is not the force it used to be. A person who knows a great deal about this is my guest today. He is a person who has achieved at a consistently high level for decades, mostly at middle distances. Even more impressively, he has been the driving force behind Athletics Canterbury for many years. Andrew Stark, welcome to Running Together. Well, thank you for that uh, introduction, Pete. I mentioned the Commonwealth Games in 1974 earlier. Can I take you back to when you were at about 15 or 16 years old? What are your recollections as a young Cantabrian with some of the world's best athletes in your hometown for those games? Well, that's uh, it's good you mentioned that because that was the first time in Christchurch that we were going to have a synthetic track. So 74 Commonwealth Games, just prior to that, they introduced the first New Zealand Secondary Schools Track and Field Championships. And so they were in 1973 on that venue. Now, I've looked back and I don't think I ran in those games, uh, the school games, but I certainly ran in the 1974 ones at QE2. So they were trialling the venue. So that was my first introduction to what a real running race was like. I'd, I'd always done athletics at school. I'd never belonged to a club. I just ran the occasional inter-school event at intermediate and at secondary school. And that's all it was. So 73 games we did at uh, QE2, fantastic atmosphere. We used to go into the core room under the stands. We'd go underneath the track through a tunnel and enter the arena by the finish line. And then you had this amazing venue and I remember running against I ran the senior 800 and I ran um, behind Tony Rogers and Tony's still involved now he's in Wellington he's in Wellington yes Mm -hmm. so he runs the Capital Classic so Mm -hmm. he's that was the first time I met Tony and he I think represented New Zealand in In, 1984 uh, one of the yes he did yeah in the the 1500 in the 1500 that's Mm. right oh wow so that was 74 and I remember that was the that also was introduction of coloured TV for the Commonwealth Games. I remember watching it. That's right. <laughs> so I watched that game. I was inspired by the middle distance runners, but not enough to seriously train. I didn't do any training 
for athletics. Mm-hmm. I just did athletics as a summer sport at school and I did rugby as a winter sport. The beginning of 1975, when I was 17, my father died. Uh, he was the deputy principal at the school where I was a pupil. And a teacher, Jim Sargent, came to me not mm-hmm. long after the funeral and said, why don't you give up playing rugby and do athletics? That is when I started taking a bit more seriously. I joined the university club. So that was the beginning of 75. So I remember in late 74, I'd run two minutes for 800 metres. I started training. I ran the cross-country season. I went to the National Secondary School Championships again at QE2, and I ran 152.8. That's a big improvement. In the final and got second. And then I had the pleasure of running against Walker, just after Christmas in 1975, they brought all of the top Canterbury 800-metre runners together and myself, a young 18-year-old, and I ran an 800 metres and I ran 150.8. So I went from two minutes to 150.8 in the space of a year on about 30 miles a week, if I was lucky, Wow, that sort of training. And that would have given you a real fill-up in, in that I can really be good at this. I went to national champs the next year and Tony Rogers who I hadn't remembered had beaten me at school, won the 800 and I was second in the junior 800. In those days, it was under 19. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, the next year, I went and ran at the New Zealand Champs for under 19. I won the 8-8 eight, eight and the 15 double. And during that year, I also equaled the uh, New Zealand under 18 800-metre record and won 50-point flat. So that was sort of the beginning of my um, career as an athlete. Yeah. So what impact did that have on your ambitions as an athlete around 1976 where obviously going, you know, John Walker's going to the uh, to the Olympics, coming home with a gold medal. I'm going to prepare now for the 1980 Moscow Games or something like this. Was there some sort of ambition there that you had? I think when you are good like that, you always have those ambitions. Yeah. Yes. So yes, I was trying to train the best I could mm-hmm. to be the best I could, but I... I think back then the knowledge of what was the right training is different to now. I think we followed the Lydia style of running and training, but we overdid it. For me, I would argue I probably overtrained. I can remember having ulcers the size of my thumbnails constantly just from being on the edge stressed. So I think top wow. athletes are either running really well or they're sick or injured, because you're on the edge the whole time. And I think back then I didn't get the balance right. Yeah. And life was pretty challenging, having lost my father. Mm. And I was battling through what I wanted to do as a career. I went through university, ended up going through teacher's college, because if I did that, I'd get paid to go through university. Didn't like teaching. And then I ended up working at Front Runner with Anne-Marie Tweedy, Mm-hmm. Uh, part-time, so that I could train and try to be the best athlete that I could. So you mentioned about that, I suppose, when it comes to paying the bills, because in those days, mm-hmm. we're talking about the late 70s, it was amateur athletics. Yes. So there wasn't any pain. No. You know, you couldn't make a living out of it. No. It's a bit of a challenge making a living out of it, uh, even these days, or that so. you've got to be really, really good. So you're spending lots of time training those 100-mile weeks that's going to take a big chunk of time out and as I said you need to pay the bills front runner part time mm-hmm. 
actually during that time, uh, I remember going on a long run one day and I was dehydrated and I thought, this is, this is silly, why can't I carry water with me? So I designed some little bum bags which carried water because there was nothing around like that. And, mm. and actually Russell Prince, who won the Coast to Coast back in the 80s, used some of my products that I created carrying water bottles. So when I was working oh, at Front cool. Runner, I actually went down to four days a week and I spent one day a week sewing and making these bum bags with water <laughs> bottles and selling them. And I've still got some of them. So I was selling those around the Front Runner franchises around New Zealand. So that made a bit of extra pocket money. But I remember I went through college, became a teacher, didn't like it. I ended up getting married, having some children. A couple, well, and when my daughter was born in 85... I realised I probably needed to earn a bit more money than I was at the shop, so I ended up going back teaching. And, of course, all this time you've had ambitions as far as running is concerned. Yep. But life's getting in the way, Life gets it? in the way, yep. So yep. you're a dad, you're a husband, a provider. There was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I ran in John Walker's last three sub-four-minute miles. He was trying to be the first runner to do 100 sub-four-minute miles. So I ran in those races and I remember running like four minutes and a tenth in Christchurch and then uh, and then running four minutes and two seconds in mm. Wanganui and then running four minutes point zero five in Auckland and that Close. was pretty disappointing to miss mm. breaking four minutes for the mile and mm. I'd had one or two injuries significant ones during the early 80s where I couldn't train as well as I would like so I'd missed the the opportunities to um, perhaps reach the standards that I thought that I could have got to. Mm. And then life got in the way in terms of getting married, having a family, Mm -hmm. and unable to fit in the time, the training and the time. So that's when I decided I'd go back back teaching and earn a bit of income. Mm -hmm. You hear a lot about the people who are highly successful, Mm. you know, your Peter Snells, for example, but there's a great deal that they've sacrificed. And mm. I just recently read a, a book, uh, No Bugles, No Drums by Peter Snell. And there's a considerable amount that he sacrificed to achieve what he did at the time. And he admitted that there was some big chunks of luck involved mm. in that as well. So, yeah, well, well, back then too, if you wanted to be a top coach, you needed to have a top athlete. And the gentleman who coached me saw me as his way of becoming a top coach. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the pressure to perform was put on me because I was a good athlete. Mm. And I don't think I coped with it as well as I could have. And I think mm. the net result was it, it was overwhelming. I ended up getting injuries and just exhausted by the, the training that I had to do. And then when... Mm. When you have family, you you know that you you've got broken night sleeps, and it just became too much. So the, at twenty seven, I basically stopped yeah. athletics mm-hmm. and concentrated on other parts of my life. Back then, in my twenties, like most people in their twenties, you haven't got life under control. When you were training, did you train mostly by yourself? Obviously, you mentioned you had a coach, but it was a lot of the training by yourself, or did you? run as a group. You're obviously part of the university yep, club. Part of the university club. So yep. was there a lot of the training as a, a dare I say, a pack? Sundays, or, certainly. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a Sunday pack which would go through Bird Plantation, Mary O'Connor, there, there might be 20 people there and mm-hmm. we'd do our two and a half to two hours, 45 minutes running 
yeah. around through the sand dunes mm-hmm. of Burwood. During the week, I tended to do it more on my own. I had part-time work, so I either started at 11 in the morning, so I had time before that to train. Mm-hmm. And then after, I'd, or I'd finish at 3.30, I'd have time after that to train. Yeah. It was training on your own. Yeah. So when you're racing... What's the feeling like when you're running along at, at four-minute mile pace? Well, it feels no different to how I run now. I, I only ran two races this summer, but the moment I put my spikes on, it's like you morph into something different. It's instinct. It feels just as exciting now, even though when I look at the clock, it's slower. So I don't know how to describe it other than I must have this innate b- ability to know that I can run at a certain mm. speed for a certain amount of time and survive without going too fast <laughs> too soon or going too slow and not getting the best out of myself. There are some runners yep. who may be very fast, but yep. they don't look <laughs> elegant on the track. You certainly do. I will appreciate you thinking that because <laughs> well, I, look, I look at myself and think, oh, now I'm plodding along. <laughs> <laughs> so there's lots of people who love to run. But you go much further. You help other people to run, to hurdle, to jump, to throw. You also do a huge amount of event organising. There are all the volunteers to prepare, the equipment to get ready, to put away, all those complex event-related tasks. And you still run as well. How do you get all of that done and what motivates you to do it all effectively essentially for free? Well, I've often asked myself that question. <laughs> Having been through teaching and then in the 90s going through a bit of a up-and-down period where uh, my wife had cancer and died and I created my own business um, writing resources for teachers and left teaching because mm. of it. That allowed me the flexibility during the day to have the time. Being self-employed meant that if I wanted to take time off to do other things, I could. So I got involved originally through Canterbury Masters, got on their committee and then the president died out on the run and I ended up being the president of Canterbury Masters. Running's a safe sport though. He had a heart attack and unfortunately he had had pains down his left side and he didn't tell his wife. So he ignored the signals Uh and it was Mm. completely preventable. But he chose to, for whatever reason, not to act on Mm. what was going on. So that was pretty... Devastating for his wife. Yeah. Which, in fact, that's how my father died of a heart attack. Uh, that mm. was also preventable if, uh, with the knowledge we have now, he didn't need to die. But unfortunately, yeah. back then, that we didn't know. So I got involved in Masters, which then I became the Masters representative on the Track and Field Committee. Mm-hmm. They immediately gave me a task, which was programming, which I've obviously been doing now for quite a while. Being a desktop publisher, I was also able to offer my skills to make the the summer and winter booklets that we create more presentable and professional. Mm-hmm. When people left the committee, the challenge is getting new people to join committees. I ended up uh, becoming the, the chairman of the track and field committee. And as I said, that gentleman who died was also on the New Zealand Masters board. So I ended up putting myself forward and got onto the New Zealand Masters Athletics mm-hmm. Board. The then president had been in the role for about 15 years and he wanted to step down, so I stepped up to take that role. So at this point, I'm on three committees 
at the same time. Wow. I ended up also going on the Oceana Masters Council for a short time, so that's that's my fourth committee. <laughs> uh, then Athletes Canterbury Executive was not a board. It was a governing committee, but I made myself available to go on that to give track and field a voice. The then president, Kevin Jago, was unwell, and they needed somebody to step up to be president, so I stepped up to be president. So that's now I'm on my, my fifth committee. <laughs> the earthquake destroyed Kiwi 2. Mm. Council came up with Napunawai as the venue. Kevin was the Canterbury representative on the project steering group for that committee, so I replaced Kevin and worked with the council for three years to ensure that uh, I was one of four people from Can- Athletes Canterbury who worked with the council to ensure that Napunawai was built to the standard that it is today. And so, so many fond memories, of course, for QE too. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was good to replace. So, mm. And the only way I could do all this was to basically sacrifice my normal business work during mm. the week to do this for athletics. So I would, I'd hesitate to say how much it's, it's actually cost me over the years if you put in 20, 30 hours a week on athletics as a volunteer for 10 years. There's a significant cost yeah. personally for that. But yeah. I've never looked at it and thought I didn't want to do it. Um, mm. There was a need. Somebody had to do it. I had developed the skills. Mm. And at some level, of it obviously fulfilled a need within me to give back mm. to the community. Absolutely. Um, On that point, there's a lot of officials who are – not spring chickens anymore, no, as they, being as they say. I've asked a couple of people before. In fact, I think actually Kevin had him on the show mm. last year. How do we get more officials? Well, if I knew the answer to that, it would be fine. Now, we have, Trevor Spittle works for Athletics New Zealand as their officials coordinator, and he struggles to get people to join. Mm. They get trained up to do Colgate games, and then they they disappear. I think the... The people who could help the most would be people, who, maybe my generation or a little bit younger. I'm 65. So those that have been involved in the sport and want to give back, mm. who aren't parents of young kids. Parents of young kids come and go, depending on whether their kids stay involved in the sport. So I don't think that's the right market, sure. which is where we've tried to get officials from. A few do come through. It's probably more the middle-aged people. Maybe their family's a bit older, so they haven't quite got the same demands, family demands. Mm -hmm. But society seems to have changed, is that there aren't the same people prepared to do what we do. It's a worldwide issue. I've talked to Trevor about it. If you look at the age of officials around, they're all mature. Yeah. The bulk of them are mature. And they don't need to be that old, if you know what I mean. They don't need to have had 30 years of experience to be an official, do they? No, they don't. Uh, Some of the challenges that if you get the – some of our top officials are quite adamant that you need a certain standard to be there. And some of them like their little – I dare say their empire, that they like the area of expertise that they're involved in. They're not – always is willing to share mm. the knowledge. And I think that's a shame because in, in my role as board chair is, is to work heavily on succession planning and, and actually share what we know with others so that yeah. they can take over what we do because I don't want to be 
doing it for life. I would like to actually be a runner again more than an administrator. Yeah. I stay in the role, one, because I, I think I do okay in the role, mm. so I don't not enjoy it. But I would actually probably like to be a runner again more than an yeah. administrator if I was able to. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes it's a, it feels like I'm so saturated with athletics admin at times that I haven't actually got the energy to train myself. Yeah. Because I just need a break from something to do with running. Mm-hmm. Or I get injuries. Yeah. I look back, it's been 10 years since I ran really well. I went to Finland in 2009 and picked up a bronze medal in the 1500 and was fourth in the eighth. And that particular year I was ranked second or third in the world for my age. And I sort of mm. did that to prove to myself that if I'd had the time and the correct type of training when I was younger, I could have made the Olympics or the Commonwealth mm-hmm. Games. So I have sort of got a tick beside proving to myself that I could have been a top athlete because I think yeah. my performance in 2009 when I was 53 were actually better than when I was as a young kid. So I, I don't have the same desire to go back to that level of competitiveness. Mm-hmm. I still would like to have a go, though. I still would still want to try to break an, an M65 New Zealand record, but we'll, we'll think about that. <laughs> it depends whether I can stay injury-free. But what I was going to say was that I think that because of my upbringing, because of my father dying when I was 17 and not really dealing with it properly, that my way of coping with stress is to suppress a lot of it, to present quite well on the surface, and the way my body copes with the stress is that that I manifest physical injuries to cope with the stress. And there's a really good book called The Divided Mind, which talks about the Mm. way we cope with stress. Mm. Uh, Some people cope with it better than others. And my Mm. way of coping is that I get distracted from the the emotional stress by my body creating a physical stress somewhere because a lot of the injuries I've had in the last 10 years, I cannot put down to overtraining or a specific event. Mm. I'd wake up with a sore hamstring attachment or a sore Achilles tendon and couldn't really say, well, I did too much training on Tuesday. That's why I've got a sore tendon. And they would not, the pain or discomfort would not go away for weeks, if not months, which is a lot longer than it should have been for the type of injury that I had. Mm. Having read that book, I had actually had a, a pain down my right leg at the time. I read the book and with three days the pain went away and it's never come back. So um, part of it talks about if you believe that there is a, a link between emotional stress creating physical pain, then it does actually can go away quite re- remarkably well. And it and it for, certainly for me that it did. I am fit for my age. I'm fit. I'm well, I'm healthy. Mm. Do I want to make that next step to be the serious runner again? Yeah. At times I do, at other times I think, oh, actually, no. No, it's just too much sometimes. We're all about getting more people involved in healthy running. What initiatives are you working on or what have you seen working in the past that gets more people to the track or to cross country or on the road to run? Well, it'd be interesting to know if you took an all like the um, the five k runs on a Saturday morning, which are free. If you actually did a, an analysis of how many people are actually running, there's probably still quite a lot 
there's fewer teenagers, and I'm I'm not quite sure how you encourage the teenagers to get involved. I know Sport Canterbury and Sport New Zealand have got initiatives. Devices. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that, that's the challenge. <laughs> you've got yeah, that's right. You've got computers and lap phones and iPads. All of those things distract people. I mean, mm. in our day, we biked to school, we biked home, we watched TV, which started at six in the evening, and then it went to twenty four hours a day. We didn't have the same distractions. No. I don't know. I, the short answer I really don't I don't know. Um, athletics is incredibly competitive, particularly the track and field side. Mm. There are fewer people doing that than ever. Do you think it can be made to be less competitive? Do you think if you like there's there can be sort of two tiers, if you will, where there's almost like the equivalent of park run but for track and field? I don't think you can make track and field less competitive. Okay. You're there on a 400-metre track, you're in full view. Mm. It's pretty obvious whether you're fast or whether you're slow. You can have A-grade, B-grade, C-grade races. And mm. In fact, I was telling you, talking earlier, that when I was a senior, there'd be 60 to 70 senior men would turn up to run an 800, so there were multiple races. Yeah. No, I, th- I think the track and field side is, is always going to be reasonably competitive. Mm-hmm. It may be slightly less competitive in the field because you're not quite so obvious, but r- certainly running around the track is pretty obvious. I think the place you can get more people involved would probably be non-stadia, cross-country and road and off-road events is where you can make it, you can cater for the, the less able athletes. It's not to say that we don't want the less able athletes doing track and field. Mm-hmm. They're more than welcome. It's just I think they are... They feel probably a bit more exposed on a circuit than they do running around a road or a paddock. Yeah. So ironically, the more people who are less able that are doing it, the more comfortable they will probably feel because then you can have those multiple, dare I say, levels or grades and they can feel quite comfortable that they're in the middle of the pack or maybe even have the chance of winning a particular race against people who... I mean, you and I have both run on the track um, in 800 and 1500 metre races mm. where there's a massive age range. Absolutely. You know, there'd be 13, 14-year-olds in the same race as us and there might be 70-year-olds as well. Well, we don't mind about that, uh, Pete. In fact, the kids don't mind either. Yeah, I like the idea of the mixed races, the mixed gender races, and that certainly wasn't allowed when I was young. It mm. wasn't allowed when I was when I came back sort of 15 years ago, 10 years ago, it was frowned upon and over the last few year seasons, basically it's now become the norm that we have mm. mixed gender, mixed mixed age races and it's on seeding, which is um, fantastic for the athletes that they get to perform with the appropriate level of people. What I struggle with is uh, there are over 200 masters aged athletes in Canterbury and less than sort of 10 of them run on the track during the summer and you go and talk mm. to them and they say they don't want to run run around in circles and I think some of them might be scared that they're going to pull something because it's fast, it's going fast but as you know, you've been there, you've got others who are quite, John Mulvaney keeps turning up and he's mm. not fast so there is no reason why you, you can't have a go on the track and field even though you're a a master's athlete who prefers cross-country and road because when I was an athlete, the cross-country and road was the training to run well on the track. Mm. With the surface the way it is, it's all the same. There's no holes or anything like this. In many ways, it it may be safer. safer. It's safer. And with the modern shoe where you can get a lightweight road racing flat, 
you can run successfully on the track without fear of pulling something because yeah. spikes can be quite hard. You don't need to be wearing spikes, that's no, right. You don't have to wear spikes to mm. be there. Speaking of which, with your work at Napuna Wai, the track home for Canterbury Athletics, you get to see a huge range of people competing from seven-year-old kids to maybe even their great-grandparents in their mm. 80s. What is it about providing this service that brings you the greatest satisfaction? The satisfaction is that I've watched young kids grow up from the age of 14 to 15, and some of them are now uh, in their late 20s or early 30s. In fact, there's a Brent Tingey I taught at Linwood High School. He's 42, and he's, and he's running. So as I said earlier, it's a safe place for me to be where other parts of my life might have been in a bit of chaos. Athletics has always been a safe place for me to go where I'm just known as the athlete or the administrator and I interact well with the athletes and the coaches and the officials and I provide a service by doing the online entries and setting up the seated programs for Saturdays and it is great to see them having a go and watching them develop as young people, whether they're good or not good at athletics, it doesn't really matter. I think the commitment for athletics is significant, and if they're prepared to do that, I think it's fantastic. So I wholeheartedly support them. Mm. Andrew, thank you so much for sharing your running journey, your wisdom, and prospects for the future with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, Pete. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew.